Hi, and welcome to the new season of Tether's Customer Experience Podcast. I'm Robert Beasley, CEO of Tether. Today, I have Matt Dixon and Ted McKenna with me. Matt and Ted are founding partners of customer research firm BCM Insights, and they have a new book out called The Jolt Effect, and we're going to talk about how they use Tether's conversation intelligence platform to examine sales interactions in a way that's never been done before. Matt, Ted, welcome. It's great to have you here today. Great to be with you again. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for having you us. You bet. So in the book, you talk about how the 2020 lockdown caused many sales meetings that were usually in person to move to online meetings, creating a unique opportunity for you to analyze and measure things that were happening in these conversations. What were your goals when you first started collecting and analyzing these sales calls? And what questions were you trying to answer? I think, you know, it's funny because that that was, I mean, it was such an interesting time, right? Us, the whole world of business was kind of turned on its ear and interesting upside down. Way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think it was, if we get down to it, it was a choice of like, do we do some new research or do we go learn how to bake sourdough bread and, you know, watch <laughs> Tiger King and all that good stuff. Right? Uh, but I think, um, you know, this was, as you put it well, I mean, this was a really unique time in the world of sales, which... Um, there were so many business trends um, that were kind of on a slow march upward. One of them was uh, how much of the average sale happened on Zoom or Teams or WebEx or you know different virtual platforms, and that was slowly increasing over time. And then I think with with the pandemic, it just flipped completely to 100% because nobody could travel, and so all of those sales conversations um, went to virtual. And so that meant all the mundane conversations that were probably already on virtual, but also the really critical ones, you know, the negotiations, the um, the critical consensus building calls, those critical calls with the, you know, the senior decision maker or your, your mobilizer, those things were all happening on these virtual platforms, which created this kind of, you know, I would think once in a lifetime uh, opportunity for uh, researchers like me and Ted to actually go out and study sales in a way it had never been studied before. Now, I think the and Robert, you know this really well, obviously, in, you know, uh, CEO of Tether and in, in the conversation intelligence space, that sometimes, you know, it, it can feel it's like a mountain of, in, of data, potential insights, right, that you're looking at. And, and companies and, and people can kind of get lost in all that data. And so we had to go in with a very specific uh, mission and objective. And I think the thing that Ted and I had been tracking as we, we said, hey, we got this golden opportunity but what specifically do we study? You know, what do sales leaders need help, need help with right now? And one of the things Ted and I had been intrigued by and had been tracking over the past few years was the increase in deals being lost to no decision. Mm-hmm. And to be very clear, these are, you know, customers will go through the entire sales process, spend valuable t- seller time, right? Uh, and all the resources on the, the vendor side, but also a lot of their own time to uh, engage with the salesperson, engage with the vendor, only to come up and do nothing. And, and we, we've been kind of tracking this sort of anecdotally. And, and as we're talking to sales leaders and salespeople about what's hard selling today, and it felt like that one was moving up the charts in terms of what was really pressing and, and difficult for folks to solve. Um, you know, in years past, if folks, listeners of the podcast might, might know the work uh, around the challenger sale that came out uh, more than a decade ago. And that was about a different problem. You know, what do we do in this world where customers have all this information and they can learn on their own? You know, they can learn about Tether and all Tether's competitors. And then they call up your salesperson, they force you to compete on price. Well, that makes things really hard for the salesperson. So the answer was, you've got to challenge customer thinking. And so our goal here was to try to figure out, you know, in a world where left to their own devices, 
customers seem to be less and less likely to make decisions, even after investing a lot of their own time in the sales process. What are the best sellers doing differently to avoid that happening to them? What's their playbook uh, for success? Yeah, I'd say even before we sort of got to the point where we thought, you know, of all the things we're studying, losses might have been the most interesting terrain for us to yeah. go and examine, which in and of itself was kind of different than what we would have normally done, where you're just studying high performance. You know, you could you could easily argue this is probably the biggest study of losses ever conducted. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing to consider at that moment in time was on the buyer side, just how much things have changed as well. I mean, even consider us us ourselves as, as retail consumers, where you might've been more hesitant to walk into a store, but therefore, you know, you, when you go to buy, you might pick up the phone and call somebody in a way you might not have otherwise. And mm-hmm. so much is, has been made of this notion that individuals, and this is true, I think, across the spectrum of purchasing on uh, certainly on the B2C side, where we can jump on Amazon or any number of different retailers and buy things on our own without talking to a salesperson, increasingly true on the B2B side too as well. So I think part of what we're trying to get at is, look, this is a pretty anxious moment in general for buyers where budgets might be constrained and they're sort of worried about paychecks and all sorts of things because of pandemic-related situations. But also, what are they now relying on salespeople for uh, within these conversations that that might be very telling in these moments when they have to pick up the phone and call, even when they have ability to buy on their own. Yeah, that's a great point, Ted. So what was different about this research uh, compared to some of the research that you've done in the past? Yeah, you know, we it's it's funny. We've, um, uh, we have we put together this this slide, which I, I'll describe it to everyone. <laughs> but uh, it's sort of, we titled it the Moore's Law of Sales Research. And so if you go back to, I think a lot of the, uh, the listeners of the show would be familiar with um, Neil Rackham's work, uh, Spin Selling, which he wrote back in the early 80s. That was based on research his team did back in the late 70s. And that was really the gold standard for, for great sales research. Um, Neil and his team of, I think it was about 12 people, sat in on, physically sat in on 32,000, I think, sales calls, uh, like went into those meetings with clipboards, taking notes, you know, <laughs> filling out their, their observational checklist. And it took them uh, 10 years to finish that study. And it was, I think it was it was a million and a half bucks, maybe two and a half million in today's dollars, but really took a long time, you know, 30, 30 plus thousand sales calls. And for a really long time, that was, again, the gold standard. You fast forward to uh, the research we did around the Challenger sale, which again, as I mentioned before, is more than a decade old now. Mm-hmm. State of the art then shifted from, you know, sitting in the customer's office with a clipboard and taking notes to, Maybe we could do quantitative research and couple that with targeted interviews. And so we collected data from, uh, to begin with, 6,000 salespeople. That research goes on to this day, data on, um, on hundreds of thousands of B2B salespeople out there around the world. But the initial study was 6,000 sellers. But it took a team of, I would say there were probably, Ted was a part of this team as well, maybe 20 people who cycled through that research team over the two years plus it took us to finish that study um, and, and that was before we started writing the book and sharing the findings. So it's still pretty labor intensive, you know, and, uh, and from a sample size perspective, a lot of variables, a lot of data collected, and arguably a lot more efficient than what Neil Rackham did back in, in the 70s and 80s, but still, still pretty time consuming. And you fast forward to the study using uh, uh, Tether's technology that Ted and I conducted um, uh, here in 2020 or, or very recently, you know, you're talking about a much smaller team. It was it was me, Ted. We we've um, had resources, obviously, from the Tether data science team, Tom Shepard, most notably, um, uh, but others who had a hand in the research. 
um, but as a smaller team. Um, and it was a massive data set and a massive number of variables uh, that we, we analyzed in the study um, and did it in a very constrained period of time. I mean, if you look at from start, when we decided to do it, we went to, uh, to the team at Tether and said, hey, we've got an idea. Like, what, what do you think about this? And you guys said, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's go for it. From that point to when the book was actually in the publisher's hands, it was like less than two years. And so that's kind of crazy to think about that. And it, it is like this Moore's law of like, you know, I don't know what the next advance will be, but it feels like we just, you wait a few minutes and everything gets twice as fast. The data sets get enormous. And what's possible today is just, just fascinating. Well, I, the last thing I'll say, and I know Ted wants to jump in, but the last thing I'll say on this is, I think one of the real, real key differences here, Robert, is that, you know, this is like where the rubber hits the road in sales is that conversation between the customer and the salesperson and, and being able to actually get to that rubber hits the road moment is so much more powerful than even what we did in the past with surveys, which of course have lots of bias, right? Well, what it, you know, it requires you, you to recall what happened and there's some, you know, selection bias and confirmation bias and sample mm -hmm. bias. Like there is no bias when you're literally looking at like a, a conversation between a salesperson and a customer. So it's a very different kind of study as well. Great point. Yeah, no, I was going to say to that point, one of the, of course, simple differences, of course, is that when you study it through conversation uh, analytics software, as you see both sides of the conversation. So you, you don't just yeah. get somebody's perspective from weeks or months past as to how somebody might have behaved, uh, but you're also seeing from the buyer themselves how they're expressing different sentiments and how they're reacting uh, to the seller. So that's gold for us as researchers because it provides additional context, a lot more additional context as to you know, what's going on and why is it occurring? How are they reacting and how is things changing? How are things evolving across the course of that interaction? But there's a blessing and curse with unstructured data as well. It's sort of this ocean of, mm -hmm. of complexity. You now have to make decisions. You have you know, models that are you know, literally tens of thousands of, of rows and, you know, thousands and thousands of columns, and you're trying to make sense of it all at the same time, it, it gets really complex quickly. And so it, it requires some of the sort of complex type of models that thank God Tom was able to supply us with and, and help us to through. But it's, it is that unstructured element, it is a little bit of a man, there's a lot here, you know, there's this ocean of information, you have to try to weed through and figure out what's going on. Yeah, it's complex and taking something that's unstructured, a conversation yeah. and putting structure to it, you know, very complicated. So once you guys decided to focus on customer indecision, what did you have to do? How did you have to adjust your research to, to drill into it and really kind of understand and test your theories about what was going on? Ted, I'll, uh, I'll let you take it first. Walk. I'll, maybe yeah. I'll do the, uh, the pylon uh, act on this one. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> the, I think the, the first simplest thing is, you know, we're able to to isolate those moments uh, between high, medium, and low levels of indecision. And so then you can use that as a filter for understanding how does the seller change what they're doing in those different moments. You know, so when it, so we were able to first measure indecision and measure it on a on a relative scale. So we can see situations when it was high, medium, or low. And that alone was very powerful. But then being able to filter in and say, okay, we can see in the data that indecision becomes, we call it cold feet uh, at different points. Cold feet becomes one of the biggest swing variables in the study itself. So then that helps us to isolate those moments and say, okay, in those swing variable moments, 
what things separate the best from the rest in those situations. And you start to see variables bubble to the top that maybe before you might have missed or, uh, or, or maybe not have thought it was quite as important. But when you see it in the lens of indecision and how much difference it makes in those moments, it starts to really help you understand, you know, what specific, specifically is driving uh, overperformance. Yeah, I, I, the the thing I would uh, add here to what Ted said is, you know, I think what's so interesting is um, uh, I, I've used this uh, um, analogy before, met, metaphor before. Uh, Robert, Robert knows I love a good metaphor, but go uh, <laughs> share this with our, for all of our friends at Tether who know the same. So, the, but you know, uh, it's like um, you know, before up until recently, we had the Hubble Space Telescope, which provided these these really deep pictures into the universe and answered big questions about like who we are and like, well, how did this all begin and these things. And then they put the, the web telescope, like, you know, about a million miles past the moon or something. Now we're, you know, it, and it's like the last stuff was always there, but we never had the technology to find it and to, mm. to look that deeply. And I think that that tether and conversation intelligence is a lot like that. It's, you know, some of these things were out there already because when you get down to it, we talk about indecision and what the best salespeople do differently. It's really about, uh, a deeper and better understanding that they that high performers have of human nature and why people do the hmm. sometimes silly things that they do and you know uh, or not do in this case <laughs> the things you expect them to do and so I think what we did was we took a lot of these um, findings coming out of uh, out of Tether and out of the research and then what Ted and I did is it kind of went back to the social science so we I've got I'm sitting looking at here on my desk a mountain of um, of behavioral economics and human psychology and cognitive psychology research to really try to understand what makes people indecisive. Like what are the things that people get wrapped around the axle about? Why is this, why does this matter so much to people? Why does it, it cause them, even when they, they deep down, they, they're looking at a decision and they know this is gonna make them better off and they still choose to do nothing. Why is that? And so I think there were some, a lot of counterintuitive things that came out of the research. Um, and so we need to rely on all that, all that research into just how human beings are wired. Cause we're not, at the end of the day, we're yeah talking about customers but customers are people after all, and they do things that we don't expect them to do sometimes. And so we had to rely on all that research to kind of explain what we we're finding. Right. Now that's a great segue into my next question, which is about what did the Tether platform do to enable you to be able to, to get these insights? What role did Tether play in all of that? Well, I'll say, I'll, I'll start here, Ted. Uh, you can uh, you pick up here, and I know Ted was deep in, deep in Tether and, um, and using the platform and, uh, uh, applying it to the research throughout. But I, I would say at the highest level, you know, there's, I would say there's probably two big things. I think one is that, you know, when you get down to it, indecision uh, can be assessed and measured and identified um, through uh, a lot of emotions um, that are expressed uh, on the part of the customer. And a lot of those emotions are difficult to measure, actually. You know, they don't come down to simple keywords. They come down to in some cases, as you take in the English language alone, hundreds or thousands of different phrases and utterances and the way that's expressed. And also, and, and how do you teach a machine to, to find those? And then also to find examples that might be similar, but are not indicating that emotion. So if you take something like frustration or confusion or hesitancy or skepticism or you know any of these things are, according to social science, indicators of indecision and I think what we were, what we came in, we were able to benefit from was the years of, of work that the team at Tether, long before Ted and I uh, arrived to do this research, had already invested in building world-class categories that could identify uh, not just those emotions, but also behaviors on the part of salespeople that 
that turned out to be quite relevant and statistically significant in the model. Um, then, of course, it, it was the, the power and the flexibility of the analytics. And there were a lot, there was a lot beyond the initial findings that I, I kind of slipped, slipped into the mode of, you know, starting to put weave together that story and, and put together the content and write, write it up. And there were times that, you know, uh, Ted was going back to back into Tether and rerunning analyses and the, the, just the speed and flexibility to be able to like, answer very specific questions very quickly versus like, well, we've got this question and then we had to go hire a data scientist and we had to go, we had to go uh, wait two weeks and pay a ton of money to get the answer on this. I mean, neither Ted nor I are, are, um, are coders, right? But you know, we were able to, as as lay people, if you will, granted, lay people were quite familiar with uh, with Tether, go in and, and actually ask questions of the platform and get pretty fast and very accurate answers um, that really helped us keep moving the ball down the field uh, in terms of the research. Yeah, I would just add. I mean, Tether's I think really does a good job. The technology is really good at understanding context of of <laughs> conversation. So right. it's not just that somebody has said something, but also you're, you're understanding that in context of everything else going on within that discussion at the given time. And for us as researchers that manifests in combinations of categories. So Matt's talking about individual concepts and individual behaviors that you can measure. What becomes very powerful, but also adds to complexity is when you start to combine those things together and understand what happens in sequence when these things are occurring across the course of a conversation. Um, I mean, quite literally, Tom built a proprietary math solver in order to handle the complexity of all the data that goes into that. So we couldn't have possibly crunched this amount of data without um, Tether's capabilities on that front. And, um, and it's just really kind of a rich, deep understanding of, uh, to Matt's point earlier, you get to this sort of understanding of human behavior because you can see kind of, again, what's going on in almost like call and response uh, uh, form, if you will, across the course of that conversation. That's a, that's a great point, Ted. Um, so why don't we finish today uh, with one one last question? Um, basically, talk to the audience about how companies can measure indecision levels in their interactions with prospects and customers. I was I was going to say give Tether a call and <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, look, you know, it's funny. I, I'll, Robert, I'll give you the here's here's a, a funny but very true, um, and I'm, I'm not rolling anybody under the bus here, but we have. Uh, a head of sales enablement at a company, um, a tech company that Ted and I have been talking to. And uh, she read an early um, early release version of the book and said, boy, this is really cool. And they use, they use a, a platform they've used it for conversation intelligence for some time and said, our, our team went and looked and they couldn't find it. They couldn't find any decision. So, well, <laughs> step one is spend five years building. Well, you class just, yeah. yeah. Step two is read 30 years of social science, then tell us what you found, <laughs> you know, and so oh, exactly. It, it, and this is not like, look, we don't, we're, as Robert said, we're um, uh, with uh, Ted and I are with uh, DCM Insights. And so this is not empty flattery, but the, the answer is that do, measuring this stuff is really hard. And I think a great step for companies would be to give Tether a call and say, hey, we've got sales conversation. You know what? We do lose a lot to no decision. And we think this is a problem. And you know what? Over the next couple of years, it's going to get worse, not better with the down, with the expected downturn. And so give Tether a call because a lot of these um, uh, these scores and these categories are are in the platform and it's it's easy to then pinpoint where it's happening, what effect it's ha it's having. And then as we'll talk about, I think in later episodes, what are the behaviors that our best sellers are using to avoid that? And is everybody using those things or where do we need to target our coaching and our training? 
I think we can say with confidence that it's happening probably more often than most listeners would think. It is it is yeah. there even if you can't yet see it. So the question isn't really necessarily how do you measure it so much as how do you measure the le- relative level of indecision and then mm-hmm. understand the effect it's having on your people. And so I'd agree with Matt, but I think part of the reason it becomes complex to measure is because it is not always explicit. These are, we talk about these like deep, dark fears that these, these buyers are having in these moments. They're not always so explicit as to say, hey, I'm really fearful of this situation. There's, there's lots of nuance as to how they articulate it, which is why, you know, when you have these categories to Matt's point earlier, that have been trained for years and years and years and years, all the different ways in which somebody might articulate a given level of uncertainty um, it becomes a lot easier, of course, if you have technology like Tether. But at, at the base level, if, if you're just sort of trying to eyeball it, you are looking for different levels of uncertainty and you know, just know that it's there in varying, varying uh, levels, different points. Well, that, that, that specific company I've referenced before, you know, I think what their team did was look for how many times our customers saying, I can't make a decision or I am indecisive. And, and the answer is like, mm-hmm. none of your customers are going to say that. Right, and, right. But, but we know that most of us actually are uh, indecisive and that's true of our customers as well. So it's like, it's a little bit like carbon monoxide. You can't see it. You can't touch it. You can taste uh-huh. it, but it's out there and it's very dangerous for your sales conversion. Yeah, that's great. Well, we'll pick up on that next time. Matt, Ted, I want to thank you for your time today. Enjoyed the conversation. Um, if you want to learn more, go to tether.com slash jolt. And be sure to subscribe to our channel um, so that you can catch the next episode uh, where we'll continue the conversation with Matt and Ted and learn more about customer indecision. Mm